Tonight, I'm going to focus on true worship. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go to John's Gospel, chapter 4. And when you go there, we're going to pray. John, chapter 4. And if you don't mind, I'm going to take my glasses off. Now, to you, to me, everything's a blur right now. So I'm just having faith that you're all still there. Make some noise every once in a while. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Father God, for your your wonderful mercy and grace. Father, we come to recognize who you are. We love you, Father God, because you're such an awesome God. We love you not because of what you can do for us. Lord, we love you because you're just God, and there's none like you. And so, Father, we bless you tonight. We give you all the glory and praise that you so deserve. You are worthy of our praise, and we thank you for your presence in this house. Thank you, Father, for opening up our hearts to receive your word. Teach us tonight. Minister tonight, Lord God. Encourage us tonight. Challenge us tonight, Father God, with your word. And Father, with that, we're ready to receive whatever you have for us. Holy Ghost, do your thing. And for this, we thank you. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, it says this. But the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now there are three things that I want to point out to you in the words of Jesus. Three things that indicate the importance of worship. And how vital worship is and how we are to prioritize it in our lives. The first thing I want you to look at is in the last part of verse 23. Where Jesus says, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now for God to have to look for something must be very important and very valuable that he has to be looking. The second thing I want you to look at is the fact that he's seeking for true worshipers, which implies that there are false worshipers. Which is all the reason why God is seeking for true worshipers. And then the third thing that I want you to look at is in verse 24, where Jesus says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And let me emphasize the word must, because the word must is an expression of necessity. It is an uh, an expression of urgency. What Jesus is really saying is this, that those who worship God in spirit and truth is not optional, but essential. It is not optional, but it is necessary. To worship God in spirit and truth is something that we have to do. It's something that we are required to do. It is something that we are obliged to do. Jesus is saying it's something that we need to do. So these are things that indicate to me that worship is very important and we are to prioritize it in our lives. So since God is seeking true worshipers, we should make it our priority to be the worshipers that God has called us to be. Go to Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus understood the importance of worshiping the Father, that he had to resist the temptation of the devil for worshiping him. And it is said that the devil made Jesus an offer that he couldn't refuse. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 8, Jesus says to the temptation that the, that the devil offered him, was this. He says, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And I believe that every day we're fighting against the devil, and every day we're telling Satan, get thee behind me, Satan, because of all the temptations that he's bringing to us every day of our lives. And every day we have to be vigilant and tell the devil, get thee behind me, Satan. So when we become... When we became born again, the DNA to worship God, which is in us, that was once distorted because of sin, has been redirected to now being able to worship God in the manner that he has given us and designed us for. So we have the ability to worship God in spirit and truth. Isn't that wonderful news to know that we can worship God in the way that he wants us to worship? So the fact that we were born again tells us that we are designed and prepared to worship God because our inner being has become a cathedral of praise. Hallelujah. 
So, which is the reason why it's such a priority to worship God. So true worship is defined by the priority that we place on who God is in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. So you can exist without worship, but you cannot live without worship. Because that's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why we were created. Go to Psalm chapter 86. Worship is the reason why we exist. Psalm 86 in verse 9 says this. All nations whom you have made or created shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. God did not send his son to save us just to deliver us from the wrath to come. God saved us so that we can also be worshipers to him here on this earth. And let me just say this. As we worship him, think about this. As we worship God, we are preparing for heaven. Because listen, when we worship God here on this earth, it is a glimpse of heaven. Because throughout all eternity, as believers, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be worshiping God. So since worship is going to be part of our eternal livelihood and our greatest joy in heaven, then don't you think we ought to be practicing that now? Amen. 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 God created us for the ultimate priority of worshiping Him. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. While you're going there, Isaiah 43, 21 says this, This people I have formed for myself. That's God speaking, talking about how He created all of us for Himself. And he said that they shall declare my praise. Now in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, which is a verse that Pastor Ray shared last Sunday, said this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, for what? That we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So these verses confirms that you and I were created to make worship a priority because that's what God created us for, for himself. Listen, worship is not for your benefit. Worship is for his glory. Amen. So if we're not worshiping God, then we're really not living at all. Jesus says in John 4, 24, that those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that worship should be a non-negotiable priority in all of our lives. So before we get into what worship is, let me talk to you about a couple of things, a couple of misconceptions concerning worship. When you think about worship, what's the first thing that pops into your head? What is the first thing that immediately comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? What's that? Prayer. Prayer? What's that? Surrender. Surrender. Music? It's interesting because <clears throat> most people would define worship with music. In our Christian culture, uh, worship or music is almost synonymous to the word worship. As a matter of fact, when you go to every, any, any Christian bookstore, they all have a music section. And in that section, all the music, all categorized, the different styles of music. You have gospel, you have sovereign gospel, you have contemporary, you have Christian hip-hop, you've got Christian rock, and then you have worship. And most people will buy worship tapes in order to create an atmosphere of worship. They also use it in hopes that it'll get them into a state where they feel like they're in the presence of God, and that they're worshiping God. But can I be honest with you? Can I be real? Yeah. And you don't get offended with me? We don't enter into worship because we hear the right kind of music or the right kind of atmosphere. See, that's the misconception here because, you know, worship is something much deeper than that. Another misconception is that most Christians feel that by attending services twice a week, They've worshipped God. That's not right either. By attending services each week does not constitute true worship. 
is part of worship, but doesn't constitute true worship. Because worship is much deeper than that. So then, what is worship? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at some examples. Go to Revelation chapter 4. I want to show you an example of worship. Now, it's no accident that the longest book in the Bible, which is the book of Psalms, is all about praise and worship. But when you get to the end of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation, it's amazing because there we read angels and creatures falling down on their faces worshiping God. Let me look at, uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 10 as an example. It says this, 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now, go over to the next chapter, chapter 5. And beginning in verse 11, it says this. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now watch verse 13. And every creature or every creation which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then verse 14. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. But can you just imagine what this heavenly scene will look like? It's unbelievable. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, it says that they rest not day and night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In other words, they never stop worshiping. It is constant worship, saying, holy, 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 God Almighty. The environment that surrounds the, the, the throne of God is nonstop worship. Even in chapter 5, where it says that all creation will one day join this heavenly environment, this heavenly chorus to offer worship and praise to God nonstop. Heaven is all about praise and worship. So when we worship here on earth, we are preparing for eternity. That's why it's so important that we begin to worship here while we're here on this earth. Because we got to, we, this is like a rehearsal. We're getting ready because when we get there, God's going to give us a mic and he's going to say, sing, worship. And then it's just up to us. So let's look at some definitions of worship. The Hebrew word for worship is the verb form which means to bow down or to prostrate oneself. To prostrate means to fall down flat on your face and your face to the ground. The Greek word for the word worship that is often used in the New Testament means to kiss the hand, which is uh, an indication of admiration and adoration. But it also means to fall on the knees and to prostrate oneself. So both the Hebrew and the Greek word for worship are similar. There's another rendition of the word worship that means to pay homage. To pay homage means to give honor and respect to somebody. It also means to to show admiration and adoration towards somebody. The word worship comes from an old English root word, which is worth-ship or worthiness or giving worth to something. So as it applies to us, worship is when we place God as the highest value and priority in our lives. Go to Colossians chapter 3. And while you're going there, let me give you a couple of other definitions. If you can put the first one on the screen. Worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is. How? Through our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, and words. Based on the truth of God as he was revealed himself. 
The second one, if you can put that second one up on the screen, worship is loving God. Worship is honoring God. Worship is knowing God for who He is, adoring Him, obeying Him, and proclaiming Him as a way of life. Jesus says that we are to love God with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul, and all our strength. He said this is the first and the greatest of commandments. So loving God is worship. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 17, Paul says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father, God the Father through Him. Paul is saying that everything that we do in life must be an expression of worship and thanksgiving towards God, because by doing that, we are showing how much God is worth to us. Amen. How are people going to know our devotion and love for God if they don't see it? One of the things uh, uh, that um, I'll use Pastor Ray as an example. Um, But you know that he loves his wife. First of all, he's always talking about how much he loves his wife. He's always talking about how much he's blessed because of his wife. And every once in a while, I'll see him taking a little kiss and, you know, holding her and, you know, and just doing a lot of things. It is obvious that Pastor Ray loves his wife. Do the rest of the world know that we love God? Is there any outward expression that we show that, it, that indicates that we are in love with God. Because loving Him is worship. Amen. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. <clears throat> we worship God because He is God. Period. So when we talk about worship, we see that it is to be a way of life. In whatever we do through our attitudes, our actions, our, our thoughts and our words, we are to worship Him. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16 in the New Living Translation, in verse 28 says... O nations of the world, recognize the Lord, recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Verse 29, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. When we talk about worshiping God, we're talking about ascribing to the Lord the, the, the glory that is due his name. In the King James Version The word give is mentioned four times in both the verses 28 and 29. And the word give in the Hebrew means to ascribe. To ascribe something means to to attribute something to someone based on what they did and who they are. When we ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name, we're simply acknowledging his worth. So this is the primary idea of what worship is. Worship is giving God what he deserves and nothing less. Now go to Malachi chapter 1. When we worship God, it is recognizing who He is. If you remember in our first session, I read to you Romans 1 and verse 21, where Paul talks about how there are many believers who knew God, yet did not worship or honor Him as God. They didn't recognize Him for who He is. And when God is not recognized for who He is, we're not worshiping Him. And so we see that example over in Malachi chapter 1, where God speaks to his priest through the prophet Malachi. And God was not happy. And here's why. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Now God is trying to make a point here. He says, if then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master... Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And he goes on to say in verse 7, you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying that the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now God begins to explain to the priests how they dishonored him. Look down in verse 8. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, referring to the blind animals, it is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept your, you favorably, says the Lord. Now, here's the problem. The priest brought these animals that were sickly, that were deformed, that were blind, 
and actually try to bring it into the temple as a sacrifice unto the Lord. So you can understand why God was angry. Because according to the law of Moses in the book of Leviticus chapter 22 verses 21 and 22 stately and, and, and makes it very clear that anyone that is to offer a sacrifice to the Lord that the sacrifice had to be perfect in order to be accepted. And then God was very clear and very specific as to the kind of animals that were unacceptable. He says, animals that are blind, that are lame, that are broken, that are sickly, that are diseased, anything that's wrong with them would be considered unacceptable. Yet here we have these people, these priests, who brought these animals that were sickly and deformed and defective as an offering to the Lord. In other words, they were giving God their leftovers. Now, that's, that's no different than us giving God our leftovers. One of the most precious things in life is time. But we often like to give God the time that is remaining in our day. We work all day. We come home. We do our chores. We run errands. We have dinner, we have family time, we have a little recreational time. For some of you who are students, maybe you have work to do, so you have some homework, and those of you who have professional jobs or have a business, maybe you have some extra work to do. But then it comes the end of the day when you're tired and you're ready for bed. But then you know you can't go to bed because you've not taken time to be with the Lord. So what we do is we squeeze what little time we have left and allot it for God. And it could be a few minutes, a half hour, or maybe even an hour. And that's if we don't fall asleep on him. And then once we've done that, then we feel good about ourselves when we go to bed and our conscience is clear. But can I say this to you? It's not about how, how much we feel or how good we feel when we worship. The issue in worship is how God, how does God feel about it? And do you think that God feels good about you giving the little bit of time at the end of the day which what we call leftover time. And we're all guilty of that. But understand this, listen, when the priest brought these offerings to the Lord, it was unacceptable because it was lame, it was, it was broken, it was diseased. But here's the thing. Their offering, their sacrifice, was a reflection of their attitude towards God. The time that we give to God, our leftovers, is our attitude, is a reflection of our attitude towards God. So God looks at them and says, you priest, if you think that the offering that you gave me is acceptable to you, then why not offer it to your governor, the most important and powerful person in your community? And see if he'll accept you. See if it'll be favorable to you. See, they were willing to give, uh, I should say this, they were not willing to give the offering that they were offering to God to the most important officials in their community. But yet they're willing to give it to God. It's a reflection of their attitude towards God. Look at Psalm verse, well, you don't have to turn it, but let me read Psalm 29 verse 2. It says, give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. In other words, don't give your God to your leftovers. Give him your very best. Amen. Give him what he deserves. Amen. So worship is not just about the songs that the choir sings. Worship is not just the, the amount of money that you place in the offering container. Worship is not just volunteering for ministry. Now, all of those things are part of worship. But it's not what constitutes true worship. Worship is our, is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is and all that God has done through our attitudes, our actions, our words, and our thoughts. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Worship is celebrating who God is. Worship is something that is joyful. Worship is something that we enjoy because... We're celebrating God and for who he is. 
First Peter 1 and verse 8 says this, Who having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, talking about the Lord, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now why would we be joyful and have a joy that is inexpressible? Well, because God is someone to get excited about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Several years ago, my wife and her brothers got together to throw a birthday party for my mother-in-law, who is now with the Lord. And she was, she, was, she was 90 years old, so it was a milestone. So we wanted to do something special. So we had the, the fellowship hall that we used from her church that she faithfully attended. And we had all the food and, and all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren were there. All the friends, the family, the church family, family from out of town that she's not seen in a while. They all came just for her. And it was just a wonderful, joyous occasion because she was the center and the focus of that party. She was honored with gifts. She was honored with words of praise. Everybody was there for her. We had the great-grandchildren and the grandchildren even rehearse a song to sing for her. And then we had certain members of the family get up and honor her, sharing how much she meant to them and how much of a blessing she was to them and all the wonderful things that, that, that she did for them. We were honoring her on that day, and we were celebrating her because it was her particular day. It was her special day. Worship should be like that with God every day, where he is the center and focus of our lives. He is the focus of our attention. He is the focus of, of honor. Everything that we think about God must be always the center of our lives and our thoughts in our, in our being. We should celebrate God every day because of who he is. It is a celebration of who God is. Go to uh, Psalm 98, beginning in verse 4. It says this, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a party to me. More than just a party, this is a praise party. That's what we need to do every day is have a praise party. Take a moment of your time and just begin to celebrate who God is. And just have yourself a party. Praise the Lord. You can sing to him. If you play instruments, you can play instruments for him. And you just have a party. Just you and him. And if you want to include everybody else, you can do that as well. But worship is celebrating God every day. Worship is something that ought to characterize our whole lives regularly on a regular basis and not just on Sunday morning. Go to John's Gospel, chapter 4. Worship is not limited. Now, let me ask this question. Do we have to go to church to worship God? No, no the answer is no. Let me ask you this other question. Is FCC the worship center to worship God? No. The answer is no. Now, FCC is a location, one of the many locations that we can worship God, but it's certainly not the worship center. Because any place can be a worship center. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. Go to, look, look at John chapter 4. I'm going to read in verse 20. New Living Translation. Jesus says, well actually it was the widow, the, the Samaritan woman who spoke to Jesus asking questions about the location of worship. And she says in verse 20, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? And while we Samaritans claim it is here in this mountain, where our ancestors worshipped. And then Jesus replied in verse 21, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here in this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman about the places of worship, his point wasn't that location was unimportant. What he was simply telling her was that praising and worshipping in special places or special buildings will one day give place to a, a worship that is unlimited. Amen. In other words, a worship that is that where there's no limitations. Jesus says that the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship. In other words, we don't have to wait for the church doors to open on Wednesdays or Sundays to worship God. 
Jesus says in John chapter 4 and verse 24 that God is spirit, which means that God does not have a physical body. In other words, he's not a physical being confined to one place. But God is spirit, which means that he is everywhere accessible to everyone for worship. So God is not just here. God is everywhere. Amen. So Jesus was saying that worship is not so much a place, but rather an attitude of the heart and mind. Worship is not so much where you are. Worship begins with who you are. So location of worship is not nearly as important as the attitude of the worshiper. Excuse me. So if we've not learned to worship God anywhere as a, as a lifestyle, then coming to a church building is not going to change a thing. <clears throat> Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, many of you may not realize this, but you and I are always in church, even if it's not in this building. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have, who you have from God, and you're not your own? Verse 20, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God, where? In your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now notice what Jesus did not say. He says that, we don't glorify, we glorify him in our bodies and in our spirit, but not just on Sundays. If the presence of the Holy Spirit is in you, then the presence of God is also in you. Which means that you can worship God anywhere, anytime, in your body and with your spirit. But sadly, there are many Christians who worship God on Sundays and then stop having church Monday through Saturdays. The Bible says that, we, that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is the church of the living God. So, as a Christian, you are the church already. You're attending, you're attending church all the time, whether you realize it or not. You don't not only come to church, you are the church. Go to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Listen to what it says. It's a prophecy where it says, your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. In other words, God is not just going to be magnified in Israel. God will be magnified outside of Israel. We who are the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to worship God beyond this building called Faith Christian Center. If the Spirit of God is living inside of you, you can't get out of church you can't even get away from church because you are the church. So let me ask you this question. What kind of church are you having privately when you're not in a church building publicly? What kind of church are you having at work? What kind of church are you having at home? What kind of church are you having in your community? Jesus says in John 4.22 that worship is not just in the mountain or in Jerusalem, but worship is in you because the Spirit of God dwells in you, and therefore you, are, you, you have a DNA to worship. And, and because there's a desire to worship God, it should come naturally and supernaturally every day of our lives. That's why Psalm 113 and verse 3 says this, From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Right. Now, you and I are not in church from sun up to sound down. We're in church two hours on Wednesday and two hours on Sunday. But all the other days, we're at home, we're at work, or we're in our community. But worship should never stop. Worship should be continue whether you're at home, whether you're at work, in your community, or in church. So God is seeking for worshipers who will bring Him glory and not just for two hours on Sundays, but every day of our lives. Amen. Now, we can't properly and effectively worship God on Sundays if we're not worshiping Him throughout the week. The responsibility to prepare for worship doesn't lie only on the worship leaders and on the pastors. Okay, I need you to know that. 
But we should be able to come to church ready to worship. We should come to church prayed up and worshiped up. Because you see, public worship and, and private worship are supposed to complement each other. Anybody who's worshiping God privately is already prepared to worship him publicly because they complement each other. For it, let me use this example. I love football analogies. It's, it's like a group of people watching a football game together versus one person watching a football game. Now, I've, wa- I've watched many Super Bowls in my lifetime. I've, wa- I've watched it by myself. I've watched it with several friends. But even when I watch a football game by myself, there's enough energy and emotion and enthusiasm in that room. Because that's what I bring when I watch a game. I love football, and I get really involved. And you can ask my wife. Sometimes she has to tone me down. I mean, I shout for joy. I'm jumping on my seat. I'm, I'm giving imaginary high fives to, to myself when, when my team does something well. And then when my team does something bad, I'm, I'm screaming at the TV, offering coaching advice based on my NFL expertise. I bring my own energy and my own emotion and enthusiasm. But when somebody asks me to come along and join them, so now I'm bringing my energy, my enthusiasm, and my emotion together with mutual fans who bring their energy, their emotion, and their, and, and their enthusiasm and together combined with all that energy, all that emotion, what that does, it enhances the atmosphere. It's electrifying. It's certainly loud. But all of that energy together, all that enthusiasm, all that emotion combined together enhances the atmosphere. That's the way it should be when we come to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays. We bring all of our energy, all of our emotion, all of our spiritual energy, and all of our enthusiasm because of worshiping all through the week and then coming down and combining all of the energy and all of the emotion and all the enthusiasm and all the love for God together so that we can enhance the atmosphere. Inviting God into this atmosphere to make it a very powerful, powerful experience. In Revelations chapter 4 and 5, we read where the environment that surrounded God was nonstop worship. It is the exact setting and surrounding and atmosphere that God loves and desires to be in. It is an atmosphere that gravitates God to that very place because He loves being in that place. Now, having said that, If in our lives, in our home, and in our church, we create the same atmosphere that God is used to in heaven, imagine what life would be like when we come together excited with with praise and worship and just just the fire uh, and the clouds and all the wonderful things that, that we can bring. Because these are things that God gravitates to. It, 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 It causes God to want to hang out with us. Saints, we need to worship God in the same way that he's worshiped in heaven. Because when we do that, I tell you, when we come together, church will not be the same. This church will not be the same. Now, so when we worship God, whether in private or public, our worship should be nonstop. Now go back to John's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus says in verse 24 that those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He says God is spirit and those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship God in spirit? Well, Jesus said that God is spirit, which means that God is not a physical being. That means that we can't worship God alone with just our bodies, but also with our spirit, because God is not a material body. He's immaterial and invisible, yet he possesses intellect, he possesses a will and emotion. God is real. So if we're going to worship this immaterial, invisible God, Jesus is saying that we are to worship him from within. That is the invisible part of you, which is spirit. 
Worship is the, our innermost being responding, which is our spirit, responding with praise to all that God is. Worship is a spiritual experience, not a physical experience. Go to Matthew chapter 15. To worship in spirit is to worship God from within, from our hearts. Jesus encounters in, in, in uh, Matthew 15 and verse 2, these Pharisees who begin to criticize his disciples. And, and we read in verse 2 where it says, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Notice he said the tradition of the elders, not the commandments of God. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Really? We're going to make an issue because I didn't wash my hands? Uh, Now, I do wash my hands. But they will take something practical and turn it into religion. See, their idea of worship is something that is formal, ceremonial, and external. And so Jesus turns to them and rebukes them and calls them hypocrites. Then in verse 8, he quotes out of the prophet Isaiah concerning people like them. He says in verse 8, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. In other words, they worship me uselessly. And their, their worship is empty. Now, you and I can come to church and have the look of a worshiper, but not have the heart of a worshiper. We can have the moments of worship when we raise our hands, we clap our, our hands, and, and we, we, we jump, we dance, we move our bodies. We can, have the, the, we can express the voice of worship when we sing unto the Lord and praise Him. We can even express tears of worship. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if all that's God getting from your worship is just a lot of body movement, then it's really not worship at all. What we're doing is honoring God with our lips, with our bodies, and with our tears. But our heart is far from Him. Because you see, He's not body, He's spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship is expressed through this temple. Worship is experienced through our bodies. Now, our bodies, the Bible says, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So therefore, we are to worship Him through our bodies as the vehicle of the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the thing. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down. So it's not like our bodies are not important to God. It's not that God ignores our bodies. It's just that God doesn't start with our bodies. He starts with our spirit first. Because it's who we got, that's who God is. He's spirit and he lives in us. So when you worship God, you're worshiping an invisible being that can only be understood and discerned through our spirit and not through our bodies. Amen. Philippians 3.3 3 says this, For we are circumcision who worship God in spirit. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So here's where the Holy Spirit becomes involved. Here's when he becomes active in worship. Because the role of the Spirit of God is the go-between. He's the agent that connects our spirit with God. And so what he does is links our spirit with God's spirit and enters us into authentic and true worship. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 You don't need to go there, but it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual worship. So our bodies are very much involved, but our bodies have to be offered up as a living sacrifice. That means our body has to be laid daily at the altar. And our spirit has to pursue after God, because once those things are working, then then the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Then the Holy Spirit can connect us with His Spirit, with God's Spirit, and then only then can we continue to enter in and have this wonderful, exciting, and true and intimate worship, such as we've never experienced before. Oh my goodness, look at the time. Let me close with this. What is the motivation for worship? Why do we worship him? Let me, let me share a story with you. 
It's about a teenage boy who had a dog. And some of you who may have dogs, you may know what I'm talking about. Now, this master, who was a teenage boy, loved his dog. And this dog loved his master. And you can tell because he was always wagging his tail. That's a good indication that the dog is happy and loves his master. He's wagging his tail all the time. And so, when the boy goes to bed, the dog goes right to bed with him, lays right next to him. When the boy gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, the dog jumps out of the bed, follows his master to the bathroom, and waits out at the door until his master comes out. Then when the master comes out and gets back to bed, the dog jumps back in bed right next to his master and sleeps through the night. The next morning, the master, the teenage boy, gets up and gets ready for school. The dog jumps out of bed, following the teenager all over the room. And then he follows him down the stairs and when the boy has breakfast. And the dog is sitting right next to him as he's eating breakfast. Then the boy goes out to catch his bus because the bus happens to uh, stop in front of his house. And he goes out and the dog follows him outside and sits next to him until the bus gets there. Bus comes, the boy jumps into the bus, the bus takes off, the dog chases the bus until he can't catch him anymore. And the dog comes back and sits in front of the house and waiting for his master until he got home. When the boy comes home, the dog sees and gets excited. His tail is wagging a mile a minute. And the dog jumps at him and, and, and chases him and jumps on him and, and licks his face because he's happy to see him. And the boy comes in the house. The dog follows him. The boy sits down at dinner. And the, boy's, the dog's right next to him. The, 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 dog is, uh, the, the boy's watching television and the dog's sitting on his lap. And the dog just follows this boy all the way around the house until it's time for bed. And then that boy, I mean that dog, starts the process all over again. The next day and the next, day after day. So it's pretty obvious that the dog loves his master. Amen. It's pretty obvious that the dog wants to be with his master. It's obvious that wherever that master is, the dog wants to be there. And you can tell that the dog is happy because the dog's always wagging his tail. But there's a story behind all that. There's a reason why this dog does this and acts this way. Because one day this dog was wandering around, mangy mutt, unkept, seriously and severely malnourished, and was on a road to destruction until that boy found him. And that boy took him home, cleaned him up, bathed him, resuscitated him, fed it, and best of all, he loved it. And so it's apparent that the dog, who's always wagging his tail, as an indication that the dog never forgot what this boy did. Yeah. This, boy was, this dog was happy and satisfied, and he never forgot where he came from, and he never forgot what the boy did for him. So you may ask the question, what does this have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us, because one day... You and I were once wandering in a street called sin. We were also spiritually unkept, spiritually malnourished, spiritually mangy, and we're also on a road to destruction. Some of us were sinners and didn't think much of it. Others were sinners and didn't care much of it. Still others were secret sinners. They didn't want to sin in front of folks. But if you were to expose their closet, you'll find that they're just as sinners as those who sin publicly. Then you have your white-collar, sophisticated sinners. These are sinners that didn't sin outright, but they kept everything inside in their hearts and minds. But whatever kind of sinner you were, Jesus found us. His grace delivered us from a road to destruction. He took us home. He fed us. He resuscitated us. He gave us life. He gave us new hope. He gave us meaning. And the question I have for you is this. Where would we be if Jesus did not find us? And the next question I have is this. Are we as grateful, as appreciative of all that God has done just like the dog was appreciative 
and thankful for all his master done. In our response to him, is it a response of gratitude? Is it a response of love and appreciation for everything that he had done? Or did we forget everything he's done? And I leave you with that question. And I encourage you to make your life a life of worship. As my sister said during worship, it's all about recognizing who God is and all that he has done. And then showing your appreciation every day, never forgetting what he's done, never forgetting where you came from, and always thanking him every day, even for the little things. Because it shows God that you're worth, that he's worth something to you. And God needs to hear that because he surrounds himself with worship. And he wants us to surround him with the same. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Father, for all that you are. We offer you praise and worship, Father God. We don't come to ask you for anything. We come just to show our appreciation and love for everything you've done, all that you are in our lives. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for pulling us out of our muck and mire. Thank you, Father God, for grabbing us out of our mess. Thank you, Father, for delivering us, Father, in the name of Jesus, for, 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 for the, the danger and the lifestyle that we once lived. Father, I thank you for showing mercy and grace. I thank you, Father, for loving us just as we are and cleaning us up and setting us back on our feet and giving us purpose and meaning in life. Father, you're a wonderful and gracious God who never stops loving us, even in our own perfections, Father God. Even when we fall short, Lord, you still love us. And you still help us to bring us back up on our feet and cause us from falling. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I bless you and I love you. And we give you all the glory and the praise that you deserve because you're God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.